0: Gary, and this is episode 86 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at electric flying cars. Before we start, I wanted to thank all of you who are posting the if you know, you know hashtag on social media. As always, it's eye opening to see who does and who doesn't really get the full benefit of the whole of this podcast. Remember, if you know, you know. If you don't know, keep listening. Our main topic of discussion today is flying cars. Electric flying cars. Yes, you heard me right. Cars that are electric and fly. Actually, that's a little misleading. When we talk about flying cars, we have images of the Jetsons and Back to the Future's DeLorean or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where a conventional four-wheel vehicle drives along the road and then transforms into a flying machine that takes to the skies. The reality is that, whilst there have been cars to which this can happen, none of them have become commercial or made it into mass production. History is littered with prototypes of road-slash-air-going vehicles that didn't really go anywhere. So when I heard about Airspeeder, I was a little sceptical. Airspeeder is a company which is putting together a race series based on flying cars. Yes, you heard that right. A race series based on flying cars naturally with a usp like this i had to have a word with him and see what's going on
1: uh there's two elements to the company we've got airspeeder which is the sport
0: that's jack withenshaw
1: he's the chief commercial officer for airspeeder uh, so it's the imagine it like a like the f1 or something similar uh where all media sponsorships partnerships uh that, that sponsorships they're all kind of held there through a. Uh, through Airspeeder. And then you've got a which is the manufacturer of the vehicles that partake in the Airspeeder race series. So uh akin to uh maybe like a Spark and a Formula E, where Spark was the sole provider of all the vehicles that race in the Formula E race. So a which is based down in Adelaide, uh is where our technical headquarters is, where we have 30 uh, plus engineers building these, these brilliant vehicles. Um, that's all that's all done out of South Australia. And then Airspeeder is done out of London, the UK.
0: Now, that's an interesting prospect, a race series with Airspeeder managing the overall series and an associated company called Allauda building the flying cars. Naturally, I wanted to know a little bit more about these cars, so I went to the website to have a look and the links in the show notes. Imagine, if you will, an old 1960s Formula One race car the sort Jackie Stewart drove around the Nürburgring in 1967, before they started putting all the aerodynamics and wings all over it. It was basically a cigar-shaped cockpit with an engine attached to the back. Uh, If it was a Lotus, then the engine actually formed part of the chassis. Now, take away the engine and the wheels. Where the wheels were, add struts that hold twin rotors like a drone, and cover the cockpit with glass. Now, zhuzh it all up with modern materials and proper aerodynamics to ensure good airflow, And that's an airspeed of flying car. Yeah, it's nothing like a car in reality, but a Formula One race car is nothing like a Ford Escort, with the exception that it has four wheels. So the aesthetic comparisons are meaningless. Uh, These vehicles go from 0 to 16 2.3 seconds, which is Tesla Model S ludicrous performance. um, And ultimately, the plan is to have up to 20 of them in a race flying in close proximity. And naturally, that raises lots of safety questions. I mean, you can't completely remove the danger, right?
1: That's exactly right. Uh, you, you can't remove it. But fundamentally, what we're trying to do is infuse safety in from the very beginning. I think that shows in not only how we're looking to produce the series, but also uh, about how the vehicle's constructed and how we can protect the pilot as well. So there's a, there's a number of ways we're, we're addressing that. First and foremost is these vehicles don't fly very high off the ground. Uh, we're not deep into the skies. We don't want to be, it's, uh, we want to be only a couple of meters off the ground where we can still get a really nice perspective on the sport, um, but also ensure that the, the pilots, uh, if, if everything fails, it's uh, not too far from the ground itself. Um, we have been working on a ton of technology within the vehicle itself that we've taken from the motorsports world. Things like the, the carbon fiber monocoque and some of the crash cells uh, to ensure the pilot will be safe, um, but the the key piece of technology that we've been working on from the very beginning is something called close collision avoidance tech, and that's the ability to have two vehicles or more uh, in the air at once, not uh, to, to be able to go and, and compete. We'd like to say bumper to bumper, uh, but in the sky, uh, but not physically touch, but digitally bump. So it's almost like, um, I'd say, two negatively charged magnets coming into contact or trying to get into contact and pushing the other out of the way. Now, the ability to be able to do that is a combination of uh, machine vision and uh, and LiDAR. And we're also able to connect all the vehicles onto a a single network so that they can communicate with each other um, to be able to to avoid those situations from happening. When it comes down to the vehicle, there's, there's a ton of technology there. In terms of the race event itself, we're not looking to have large live audiences. Uh, we race in remote locations, so we're not flying over urban environments. We don't need to, to fly over racetracks. Uh, we can fly over deserts, snow, water, the, the sky very much is our playground. But it's all been built and designed in, in to, to fly in remote locations uh, that we can ensure that the, the, the race is safe.
0: If you look at competitions such as Formula E and Extreme E, they're looking at this from two aspects. spectacle and environmental impact and sustainability.
1: When you or really introduce the idea of flying car racing to somebody, it, it's a big concept to take yes. in. Uh, so we think it's probably got enough legs uh, in and of itself. However, that said, when building a new sport, we do believe that you have the obligation to be able to build a sport correctly by modern standards. And that, of course, includes a whole degree of sustainability within it. So when we uh, when we talk about why we're doing this, sport, why we're racing these vehicles, there's, there's three main reasons that always jump out. One is to, to inspire the next generation. I think we've been talking about flying cars for years, whether it's the Jetsons, Star Wars, pod racing, uh, Back to the Future, oh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, flying cars have been in our Zyghast uh, for ages. We just now need to bring it to the forefront and get people excited about this technology. So we're here to inspire uh, the, the, the next generation. Secondly, it is around sustainability. Uh, as I said, when you get a chance to build a sport, build it right. Why would you not be sustainable? And for us, that means that we don't need huge carbon footprints in laying down tarmac. Uh, we can run our events off, off renewable um, energy sources. Most importantly, we're here to promote electric mobility, not on the ground this time in the sky. Finally, probably more importantly than, than those other points as well, is we believe that for a mobility revolution uh, like flying cars to take place, we need people to fall in love with it. It's it's what happened with motorsports and the automotive industry. It's what happened with civil uh, civil aviation and things like the Schneider Tree for this amazing seaplane race that happened in 1913 in Monaco, just two years after the seaplane was invented. And we saw planes going from 45 miles an hour to just shy of 400 in 20 years or so. And we, we, we think that in getting people excited about what this technology can do and allowing a space for OEMs and competitors to come together that not only will new technology, both performance and safety, start to be developed, but yeah, people will get excited about what we're doing and start to see the application of this new tech. Yeah, we, we, we talk about sustainability as, as one of our key features, uh, but we are also here to, to build a new industry, to drive a, uh, a path for it to exist, and to get people excited about what the future holds. If you cast your
0: mind back to the start of Formula E, you'll remember that they had to have two cars per driver per race. And the reason was that the battery tech wasn't sufficiently advanced to allow a car to run the full race distance without running out. When you've got a big battery in a four-wheeled vehicle on the ground, weight's only a marginal issue, especially if all the cars are identical as they were in Formula E to start. But when you're flying and every extra kilogram has an impact, you want batteries to be as light as possible. But you also want the racing to be as fast and furious as possible. This means bigger batteries with longer range. So how's this going to happen?
1: What we're doing here is is creating a race series, which has multiple of these vehicles all up in the air at once, quite simply motorsports in the sky. But to be able to to do that, we do need a a lot of power. Uh, We also will be burning through a lot of power to be able to to keep these things up. So that means that we need to have regular pit stops where we can switch these batteries out, uh, put new batteries in and allow them back into flight. How big are these batteries? Yeah, so we, we're trialing out with a number of different uh, size batteries at the moment. Uh, we're, the ones we've got at the moment are around 80 kilograms. Um, so we've got two 240 kilo um, battery sets that we'll be able to, to plug in.
0: So what we're looking at here is a race which will have pit stops to make the process more exciting. And just so you're aware, the current version of the Airspeed model, the Mac 3, are full drones. They're piloted remotely and they're smaller than the proposed piloted version. Racing is scheduled to start this year using the remotely piloted versions. But shortly after that, the full piloted version, the Mark IV, will make its debut. I asked Jack where the races are going to be held and who are the teams that are going to be taking part. And for various commercial reasons, he was uh, unwilling to divulge a lot of information. However, I did get the following from him.
1: So we're going to start small and build up from there. Look, we'd love to be able to be a a fully fledged motorsports at the gates, but it takes time to be able to develop the technology and to to build up, uh, I guess, the capabilities to, to get to that level. So initially, we're going to start with just a handful uh, of teams. And again, th- these are names that you are familiar with, but we'll start to grow that grid as the series develops. So it is our full intention to add an extra location and an additional team slot for for new partners to join as the, as the series progresses. Okay, now,
0: obviously, you're a bit hesitant about naming names. But when you say these are people that we know, are these people that we know within the Four wheel ground based motorsport arena, or is it more within the electric vehicle arena, or is it more within the flying
1: arena? It's a it's a combination of all three. So yeah, look, this is this is a as an industry, um, it's absolutely booming um, in terms of urban air mobility. We've we've seen billions of dollars invested uh, into this space. Traditionally, it was the aerospace guys that moved in first. It was companies like. Airbus and and Boeing that were the early adopters. But more recently, we've seen um, huge investments to shy of a a billion from from Toyota. Hyundai has announced its multi-billion dollar program into flying cars uh, or or, um, UAM space. We've seen uh, companies like Daimler, Porsche, Aston. Uh, This year alone, um, Fiat, Chrysler, General Motors have all expressed their uh, interest in flying car projects. So what we're seeing is automotive manufacturers that have experience um, in uh, electric powertrains see the capabilities that they can bring across both in construction and uh, uh, and take that into the and take that into the vertical space. What we're expecting is in the same way that the uh, let's say the, the F1 for example is is upheld by a number of OEMs and manufacturers uh, who are looking to be able to have a space to drive new technology and innovation. Uh, which can trickle down to their their um, their cars. We're looking to be able to see that in our space from those similar producers um, looking for a similar outcome. And the locations? Uh, we have two venues confirmed and one still in negotiation, so three oh, international okay.
0: races. Ultimately, they're looking to go to venues that are both interesting and challenging. Do you remember the pod races in the early Star Wars prequels, racing through cannons in close proximity? Now, imagine that in real life with uh, Airspeeder. The key difference is that Airspeeder races are not intended to be watched by a live audience. Unlike Extreme, there's a reason for this. Firstly, there's the environmental issue. If you have a live audience, you're going to need stands and viewing facilities. And if they're racing in the desert, that's going to cause issues, more so if they're racing in the Arctic. And secondly, there's also the safety issue. To make the racing exciting as a viewing spectacle, you need people to be reasonably close to the action. As we've already discussed, Airspeeder are looking to have vehicles racing at high speed around computer controlled courses where safety is of paramount importance. As a result, audiences can't be too near the action. Which raises the question of how are people going to actually watch this series?
1: Yeah, so our media strategies uh, predominantly revolves around safety. Uh, We'd love the ability to be able to do live races in somewhere like Monaco, the Bay of Monaco, for example. But the technology is just not there yet we will be able to get there one day. And when we do, we'll be able to broadcast live races. But until then, we're going to be flying in, as I said, remote locations, but we'll be uh, capturing all that broadcast and then televising it as as live. So it'll be um, a combination of uh, digital uh, and uh, linear media, so uh, TV broadcasters as well. They won't be live events, unfortunately, but uh, I think uh, when we get to that stage, uh, when we are doing live events in Monaco, then I know we've made it.
0: So the events will take place. They'll be recorded with as many innovations in recording tech as is possible. Cameras inside and outside the vehicles, etc. Obviously, for the Mark IV versions, they're going to need pilots. Where are these pilots going to come from? Will there be regular pilots who are taught to race or race drivers who are taught to fly?
1: The question is, where do we find those pilots and uh, how can we prepare them for the league? The, The beautiful answer here is that we don't know. We don't know where these pilots are going to come from. We've got applications from everywhere from civil, military, rotorcraft, fixed wing, all the way through e-sports uh, with, with young kids that have the dexterity and uh, quick reaction times to be able to, to handle these at least uh, remotely. Well, and then on the other side of the spectrum, motorsports, MotoGP, uh, ride, motorcycle riders that have some of the experience and probably some of the most closely affiliated uh, experience to what it's going to be like in these these Mark IV vehicles. So we, the short answer, Gary, is we don't know who these pilots are, uh, but we are welcoming them through the teams uh, from all different backgrounds. And I think that's a lot of the fun is we get to to explore where we can tap into the, the talent pool. Um, the question, though, whether you're going to be able to jump into one this, uh, this year, next year, uh, with your pilot's license, uh it's 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 to be explored it doesn't act like a like a fixed wing doesn't act like a a helicopter it really is a giant drone uh which when you're in it it will have extreme g-forces that the pilots will need to endure reaction times uh which are going to be akin to to military or um or motorsports um experience and i think in that unknowingness is a lot of fun uh that we can expect to come out of the series presumably there's some sort of selection criteria. I couldn't be an airspeed pilot,
0: for example, because my body couldn't handle the G-forces, even though I have a private pilot's license.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think the, the best answer for that is we're developing a path, a, a route for these pilots to go down uh, so that they can answer those questions themselves. Um, now, if you look at something like Formula 1, for example, right, everyone knows you go through go-karting, then Formula, Formula 321 to be able to, yep. to make it to the top tier. Now, as a new sport, we haven't developed that talent pool development stage, mm-hmm. um, and that's something we're we're looking to do. So this year, that'll all become uh, unveiled, and we can show a path where you can go from uh, time on something like a drone to to simulator training to, to to the vehicles that we're racing, and then eventually to be able to get into uh, into the Airspeeder series. Now, what those uh, what those deal breakers are, we don't know just yet. Um, But we do think that in the creation of this clear path for for pilot development, uh, we'll start to get a good feel for it.
0: As I was chatting with Jack, I did want to try and play devil's advocate a little bit.
1: So we've got
0: a couple of venues, you've got a couple of teams, the venues may increase, the teams may increase. You're not 100% sure how you're going to televise it, you're not 100% sure how you're going to film it. You're not 100% sure how you're going to get the vehicles fueled, charged at any location. How confident are you you're actually going to have a race by the end of this year?
1: Yeah, look, I, I'm extraordinarily confident. I, I know the teams that we have in place, I know the locations we have. In terms, in terms to, to charging those, those, the batteries, we will have a solution in place for that. That's not a problem. Um, In terms of filming it, that's a creative solution. So we outsource a lot of that to to a third party. So luckily, when it comes to to risk management, that's not something that we need to worry about so much. But we have got partners that can be able to help us there. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm extraordinarily confident. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to show you what the first flying
0: car race series looks like this year. Airspeeder are part of the United Nations Support for Climate Action Framework.
1: So we're, we're really excited to have, have joined uh, an act for climate change with the United Nations. Uh, it's a uh, declaration for the company to be able to say we, we plan on producing a, a sustainable sport. I like to think we can we can go further than that as well. Um, there's there's a lot in there that we can do, but there's there's a lot more we can do as as a new sport as we're designing it as well. So one day I'd love for it to be a completely carbon neutral sport. Uh, and, and join the, the likes of someone like Xtreme. E. But it just means that when we start building it out, we have uh, a number of considerations uh, that that come to mind. We've talked about them already, but things like uh, using renewable energy for our events uh, would be fantastic to be able to charge these vehicles, to leave no carbon footprint uh, for the sport. When we enter a new ecosystem as well, uh, to leave it just as we found it. And we do have this ability, this unique ability, unique ability where we're we're flying, Uh, so we aren't really damaging too much of the environment, the fragile ecosystems that we enter. So yeah, for us, it's really about um, designing a sport uh, in the the best way possible and and meeting those um, standards that are set by um, great organisations like the UN.
0: So flying cars. The dream is still alive that hopefully we'll get a proper car that runs along the ground and takes off when we want it to. It will certainly solve a lot of traffic problems over the long term, but it will also create a number of other problems as well in the short term. In the meantime, airspeeder would appear to be the nearest that we have. Drone-type octocopters that seat one pilot slash driver and race across uneven and remote landscapes on a virtual course protected by computer wizardry that attempts to stop them running into each other. I, for one, cannot wait. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Climate is an app that helps to calculate and offset your carbon footprint. With climate change very much a key initiative across the globe, whether some governments understand and appreciate that or not, many people often struggle to understand what they can do to help move the needle at a personal level. Climber is an app that can assist you. It starts by asking you a number of questions about your lifestyle. You know, how much do you fly? How big is your house? What's your diet? Do you drive? Etc. Then it takes that information and calculates your carbon footprint. Once you know what your carbon footprint is, it allows you to select how you offset that footprint. You can do this by planting trees, kickstarting solar PV projects or buying clean cook stoves. And once you've selected which of these you want to do and you can combine them, it will calculate a monthly donation for you. And this money is then used to fund projects which do whatever you've decided you want as your offsetting strategy. The system deals with having an electric car and renewable energy. And obviously this will reduce your carbon footprint already, which is good. You will need to know the square footage of your house as part of the calculation process. If you don't know it, Put a guesstimate in there. Bigger in this case is better because it means you'll have a higher carbon footprint and offset more, which is always good. Amongst the projects they fund are solar panels in Mauritania using Saharan Sun to provide 15% of that country's electricity and save 60,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide per year. A South African solar project which harvests abundantly available solar energy to generate clean and safe electricity, displacing coal-fired power plants. This produces 224 gigawatt hours of electricity per year, saving 200,000 tons of carbon dioxide. They also support the Panama Reforestation Project, which was the first gold standard certified agroforestry program in the world. What used to be degraded farmland is now turning into strong biodiverse forests all over Panama, mixing 20 local tree species with farmed cocoa trees and sustainable timber, alongside dedicated conservation areas. 2.1 million tons of carbon dioxide are captured from 9.2 million trees that have been planted. When it comes to climate change the actions of one single individual won't make a great deal of difference in the big picture but with house like this the actions of one individual can combine with the actions of lots of one single individuals and make a big difference. Climber runs on iOS and Android and links are in the show notes. (laughs) And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this point of the podcast, please let me know by tweeting the following phrase to me at EV Musings. Motorsports in the sky. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's looking at taking his e-skate skills on tour, going to head around the country doing demonstrations, showing his skills. It would be like a U2 stadium tour, he said. I asked him where we will be demoing this.
1: Uh, we have two venues confirmed and one in negotiation, so three to basically.
0: As always, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.